0: Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from No Quarter, Wenches, Volume 1, written by M.J.L. Evans and G.M. O'Connor. A Piratical, Suspenseful Romance This first book of five begins in 1689 in Port Royal, Jamaica, where Atia Crisp is imprisoned awaiting trial while refugees from Strangeways Plantation seek their new home. Guided by Capitaine Roche, they face pursuit by the pirate-hunter Big Dick and the perilous terrain of Bocas del Toro. Their future home of Serenité hangs in the balance, complicated by the outbreak of war with France. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from No Quarter, Wenches, Volume 1.
1: Tempest and a Teapot September 22nd 1689 Atya Crisp was counting the bars of her cage for about the hundredth time when Port Royal came into view. She had first arrived there just over a month ago, a journey that began when a hurricane struck the ship carrying her to Hope Bay. She and her sister, Livia, had been the only survivors of the wreck, which claimed many lives including those of her ma and her half-brother. After being tossed to the jagged rocks of Folly Bay, she and Livia were kidnapped and sold into slavery. Atia's fortunes turned somewhat when she was used as a pawn in a card game and liberated by Capitaine La Roche. She later discovered that he was actually a pirate known as Gator Gar, or simply the Capitaine. They fell in love and escaped to a plantation in Jamaica's Blue Mountains, where they stayed for a spell, before being mobbed by English redcoats and maroons. All in all, she was back where she started from, in the pestilent city of Port Royal. Atia could already smell it. Shit, fish, and smoke. Not even the storm could clear away the stench, a flash of lightning illuminated the approaching harbour. Behind them, off in the distance, speck-sized ships sat on the horizon. The wary boat dipped on the swell, causing redcoats and prisoners alike to hang on tight. Colonel Beckford led the procession, ordering the English soldiers to dock near the wherry bridge. They disembarked, and prison carriages wheeled up Thames Street passing through the great stone arch of Fort Carlisle and Gallows Point, where prisoners were hung by their necks until dead. Atia grimaced as Bridewell Prison came into view. Its stone foundation housed dozens of cells with iron bars. The dilapidated top structure held many more barred chambers, each with little natural light. Great. More confined spaces, she thought with a snarl. She and Livia were dragged to separate cells. Hang on, Liv. He's common, Atia said. She knew the Capitan would rescue them. She could hear his broad-billed parrot, Mean following her across the Ligania Plain. She'd seen him periodically on her journey. With the tempest looming, she hoped her feathered friend was safe. Too many lives had been lost already. The attack on Strangeway's plantation had claimed her friends Tanama and Lily. Tanama died in her arms. Atia had pretended to be asleep when English soldiers came to take the body away. And she'd given one of them a black eye. She did not know the fate of the others the buccaneer Dasher Dupi and a native elder, Yaguara, had picked the lock of their cage and escaped into the jungle. Carlena, the plantation's leader, had guided the residents away through underground tunnels during the attack. Runaway slaves Akena and Fatima, though, had had the misfortune of being captured and transported back to Port Royal in one of the prison carriages. Atia peeked through the barred window, catching rain on her tongue. Lightning clawed the skyline, and the tiny ships drew nearer. Perhaps it was the Capitan coming to take his revenge on this accursed city. She staggered to a haybed in the corner of her cell. Her ribs still ached from the shipwreck, and she would have given anything for some laudanum. The hair on her arms rose, and she shuddered her head pressed against the stone. She could still see her ma being sucked overboard, her body smashed upon the rocks of Folly Bay. A rat scuttled along the floor, its wee claws scraping against the foundation. Atia shut her tired green eyes. She imagined herself back at Strangeway's plantation with its warm, sweet air, Bright green leaves and fields of vibrant wildflowers. Iridescent butterflies glittered and birds chirped in the trees. The kindly Dr. Strangeways invented new and unorthodox concoctions in his apothecary, while his assistant Gladstone always sampled the medicines. They had twilight picnics of cured meats, yams, mangoes, pineapples, apple tarts, and well-aged whiskey. Her nap was interrupted by the metallic clang of keys and the click of a lock as a guard entered. Atia Crisp, time for processing. He dragged her to her feet, and they stopped to collect Livia, who could scarcely walk due to a broken rib. "'shackles locked around their ankles and wrists, "'and they were herded from one cage to another. "'Atya squeezed Livia's hand as she dozed from exhaustion. "'As they travelled across the street to the courthouse, "'the rain pelted hard, submerging the streets in water. "'The prison carriage slowed, unable to go any further. "'As a second prison cage halted beside them, "'Atya could see that it held Fatima and Akenne, half-conscious and bloodied. At the courthouse on High Street, they were stopped, and someone called out, "Tame Street is flooded all the way down to the King's house, "'so you'll have to go around High Street.' Water pooled down the front steps. City officials arrived in carriages, and debating ensued. "'What the hell is all this?' one began. "'Councilman White!' another shouted over the wind. "'These are prisoners from Captain Longstaff. "'They're to be processed tonight.' "'White's eyebrows furled. "'Now? Why can't this wait till morning? "'Curid Beckford said to take them in now.' "'Oh, Beckford,' White sighed. "'He tries hard for an idiot.' "'Take them back and lock them up for the night. "'We'll process them in the morning. Judge Goblet's orders. "'These prisoners are to go before the bench tonight.' "'The door to the courthouse blew open, "'and a stout man in a judicial black robe leaned out. "'Excuse me, Mr. White. "'These prisoners are vital to an ongoing investigation "'into slave smuggling.' One of the highest crimes there is. Thank you, Constable Blower. Goblet glanced down at the pooling water. We have to relocate the proceedings, however. The entire building is flooded. Aye, so we go home and let it stop raining, White said. Goblet's bottom lip quivered. "'Weak justice doesn't wait for the rain to stop. "'Well, if you must proceed tonight, "'there's the old courthouse on Church Street,' White suggested. "'It's a synagogue now, sir,' Blower said. "'White shrugged. "'Well, tell the Jews to move out for a while. "'It's nothing new for them.' "'Yes, I agree. "'We'll move the proceedings to Church Street.' He motioned for his carriage. Have Colonel Backford meet us there. White yawned. Ever fall asleep by the fire to the sound of the rain only to find yourself out in it? I have. Thank you, Mr. White. England appreciates your sacrifice. Please meet us there. Garbutt hopped up into his carriage, followed by his aides, and took off. Captain or council president to you, Chief Justice, White huffed. Whatever. Take us to the old courthouse on Church Street. He entered the carriage and it rolled away. Artia wiped the rain from her eyes and the prison cart looped around, bumping and grinding against the uneven terrain. Livia moaned and trembled. Artya couldn't even hug her sister with these damned shackles. "'Don't you worry, Liv. He's coming.' "'She was convinced. She had to be. "'The capitaine wouldn't leave her here. "'He'd come. Her da would come, too, once he found out. "'He, her Uncle Rourke, and her brothers would race in on lucky charms "'and blast holes in the city.' Atia wasn't going to cooperate with these fancy officials. "'She wouldn't give them a thing. "'Her whole family had suffered at the hands of people like that, "'particularly the slaver Hansel Crisp. "'Crisp blackmailed her mother into marrying him "'by threatening her life and Livia's. "'They could throw Atia back in prison, "'beat her, torture her. "'She refused to crack.' Each and every one of them could go to hell. Captain John White, the council president, debated whether to step outside the confines of his carriage. Like a dog, he'd been summoned in the middle of the night during a storm. He massaged the stubble on his head before placing a heavy white wig there. He secured his rain cloak and hood, then stepped out in front of the courthouse. This will do nicely. Goblet lifted his robe and climbed the stairs. Old Port Royal is on higher, firmer ground than new Port Royal. White wrinkled his nose. Smells the same in the morning, though. He rushed indoors to shake off. Colonel Beckford joined them, and they advanced to the old court bench. Once the prisoners were escorted inside and lined up against the back wall, Goblet took a seat and removed a wooden box from his pocket. He used a small mallet to whack the tabletop. He frowned at the indent in the woodwork. "'Whose invention is this? The Dutch? "'It's to bring order,' Beckford said. "'I know what it's for, Colonel.' Goblet wore an expression that made him look like a constipated terrier. "'Well done. You got the pikeys?' He flipped through the stack of papers. "'Now, you captured our buccaneer and the Indian called Jaguar. Where are they?' Beckford's large ears flared red. "'They... they escaped somewhere on the Ligania Road.' "'Escaped? How could you let them escape?' "'Goblet pressed. "'With less than ten percent of my men left, "'we were unable to contain all the prisoners.' "'I'm astounded you know what a percentage is. "'Perhaps the title of colonel was a premature appointment.' "'What were the losses, Beckford?' White dared ask. "'Uncounted yet, sir?' but I'd estimate we'd have less than a hundred soldiers, including Red Royals, and my militia is down to twelve accounted for. White massaged his face. How did this happen? Did we miss a meeting? The Maroons attacked. Beckford cleared his throat. I believe Captain Longstaff and Admiral Goddam engaged in negotiations with them to lure them into a fight. White leaned in towards Goblet. An ugly accusation, to say the least. He went on to address Beckford. Where is Admiral Goddam? Dead, sir. Along with his entire staff. And Colonel Sportswood. The Governor's brother? White's eyes almost sprang from their sockets. Oops. That might set off an inquiry. An inquiry is what we're here for, Mr. White, Goblet said. Captain or Council President, Chief Justice? Constable, Goblet said. The sheriff was killed in the line of duty. He was. Come here and be sworn in. Blow his face gleamed. As sheriff? No. "'Imbecile, as bailiff,' White said. "'The constable's shoulders sagged, and he trudged towards them. "'What's your full name?' Goblet asked. "'Leafblower, sir. Son of Hans Blower.' "'Very well. You are hereby an officer of the court. "'Clear the court, Officer Leaf blower. White took his place on a chair next to Goblet. Once all unnecessary bodies were removed from the room, he cleared his throat. Court is now in session. Justice Tankard presiding. The judge stared daggers. Justice Goblet, Mr. White. Sorry, I always mix those up, Chief Justice. Goblet continued to inspect the prisoners. Artia... The red-haired Pikey glared at them all. Me captain's coming for you. I'm sure, Goblet read her file. She's wanted for questioning in her involvement with the pirate Gator Gar, along with her sister. One of the aides stepped forth. There's a bounty on the Redhead. Captain Longstuff may have a claim. The door to the old courthouse opened, and the wind caught it, causing a slam that echoed through the building. Edmund Cockshall entered, wearing a black rain cape. His right-hand man, Stevens, trailed behind. I claim ownership of the two Irish girls and the young slave Fatima, Edmund said. I thought you freed us, Atia challenged. Edmund met her harsh gaze. Unless the girls have the necessary papers to prove otherwise, I have here a letter of recovery entitling me to seize property belonging to Mr. Crisp of Barbados. He provided a document. Atia spat in his direction. You said you freed us! Hush, Atia! "'I do this for you and your sister,' Edmund said. "'I'm here to take what's mine.' "'Edmund Cogshall, your document claiming ownership of the Negro Fatima "'indicates she belonged to Mr. Berghill. "'That estate has yet to be determined. "'He has a child.' I, sir.' His daughter is unmarried and cannot inherit the land, titles, or property. She's too fat and slow, too, Belowa said, eliciting a laugh from the guards. Goblet slammed down the mallet, leaving another mark on the woodwork. Fatima is a runaway slave and will be sent back. To Barbados for reconditioning, unless Mr. Cogshall can provide further proof. Edmund shook his papers. What of the two Irish? Surely my claim stands. Atia Crisp will be interrogated in Bridewell Prison for her involvement with the Pirate Gator Gar and her association with the smugglers Cormac and Rourke O'Malley. Although they are deceased, she may be able to provide further details on their smuggling operation. Atya's face went pale at the news of her daughter and uncle's death. The sisters looked at each other and began chanting something pagan-like. Attia sniffed. My Capitan is coming for you. He's coming for you all. Mr. Crisp of Barbados also has a claim. He believes them to be of pure Roman blood. He's sending a breeding expert to find out. Goblet formed a pyramid with his hands. Acting Lieutenant Governor Piper, however wants there to be no question. Barbados does not dictate terms to Port Royal. Rather, Port Royal will advise Mr. Crisp of Barbados how we see fit. There are no charges against Livia Crisp. She is released to Edmund Cogshall, pending a hearing to determine ownership, he motioned to Edmund. You may take her with you now, Mr. Cargshall. Livia was unshackled, and Stevens picked her up in his arms. I not go without Atia," Livia protested. Hang on, Liv. He's common, and Dar's common too, you'll see, Atia cried hysterically. A boom shook the room. Jesus, Gobbold exclaimed. No, it's a ship, White corrected. A flash shone through the window, followed by an explosion. White dived beneath the bench. Hit the deck! The clang of alarm bells sounded as more thunderous blasts rattled the walls. Goblet's bottom lip began quivering. What the hell is it? A raid, you fool! Secure the prisoners! Everyone, stay down! White shouted. Beckford, General Quarters! He and the colonel glanced out the door. The blasts had come from just offshore. "'It's a French attack!' a bystander yelled. "'Told yer there was common!' Arteus smiled smugly. White and Beckford ran to Morgan's line to defend the city. From the end of Church Street, an ornately decorated carriage sped along. Two fiery shots soared into a nearby building— Acting Lieutenant Governor Piper stuck his head out the window, yelling wildly, Get out of the way, you fucking idiots! Jesus, fuck! Aye, our government for you, White said, always banding together in times of crisis. Candlelight illuminated the sitting room while raindroplets pelted the windows. Elizabeth, busy, gale, had suspected something was up, The commotion outside on Church Street had woken her. The Jewish families residing in the former courthouse across the street were being dispatched from their homes. Only a year before, the Spanish Catholics had been dismissed from the same building. Some sort of official city business was being conducted, evidently. She then decided to fix herself a pot of tea, while occasionally checking the window. Snoring came from her friend, Esmeralda Belford, or to some, Widow Bell, who had passed out in a chair from too much rum. When the first of the cannon fire struck, the entire house vibrated. Widow Bell fell out of her chair with a thud as Isabella and Jamie raced downstairs. Isabella trembled. "'What's going on, Mamma? Busy motioned for her to stay quiet and checked the window facing the water. Tall ships loomed in the distance within a veil of smoke. Cannon fire assorted the city again, causing dishes to vibrate off the shelves and the teapot to shatter on the floor. Christ, were under attack! Widow Bell staggered towards them. To the cellar, kids! Busy felt Isabella's stare as she slid on her boots and laced them up. Down to the cellar now, the children went on ahead, but Widow Bell delayed. Where are you going? I have to go to White's Line and defend the city. Widow Bell shook her head. Why'd you have to say yes? Well, I did now. get downstairs. I'll be back as soon as I can. Busy forced her arms through her coat and buttoned up. It was becoming a habit these days dragging herself out of bed in the middle of the night to save the city. A month prior, she had assisted in extinguishing a devastating fire. Her actions earned her a medallion of service and the honorary title of Acting Corporal and Official Fire Warden of White's Line. Now, facing the prospect of cannonballs, she wasn't so sure she wanted fanciful labels— she tied back her long hair, which drew attention to the scar that ran down the middle of her forehead to the bridge of her nose. After a deep breath, she rushed down the front steps to the causeway. A pair of renegade peacocks darted by, followed by Jarves Coxon Spit, a local performance artist known as Monsieur Deva. He whistled to his pet fowls. "'That's the bloody French foyer!' Coxon Spit bellowed, taking cheap shots in the bloody rain. He clasped his pom-pom nightcap and continued his frantic chase. Busy stopped at Morgan's line. Councilman White was on the scene, watching the empty ships through a spyglass. Colonel Beckford limped up the ramp to join him, briefly casting an eye at Busy. Ah, Beckford, there you are. White studied the boats. I see La Merlin, Le Seahorse, and Hazard Ducks. The bloody pricks. He lowered the viewer. Busy had known those ships from her days consorting with the flibustiers in seventy nine and eighty. Their French names were Emerillon, Cheval Marin, and Azadeux. Call battery to order. Fire back, damn it! White yelled. Beckford checked through his telescope. Prepare to fire. Busy lit torches as men loaded the cannons. From behind them came the high-pitched shriek of peacocks. Her heart almost erupted when she saw Jamie rushing out to her. White grabbed Jamie by the ear and took him behind the rundlet cart. He addressed the city volunteers. You were trained for this. Defend the city. Is it an invasion? Busy asked. No. A test of our strength. They'll retreat once we're at full force. His words were little comfort. What shall I do? Watch for signals from Morgan's line. Next, white-eyed Jamie. And you, stay out of the way. Busy gave her son a worried snarl. Ready to fire cannons, White ordered. Fire! Men torched the cannons and fired at the French ships. A retaliatory shot came back at them. Incoming, White said. Sulfur hung heavy in the air. The shot soared overhead and slammed into Widow Bell's house. No, Busy screamed. Jamie tugged at his mother's arm. They got our house, they got Isabella. She scooped up her 6-year-old and met White's gaze. "Our house. Take the boy out of here. Go." Busy darted for home. There was a great smoking hole in the side of the house. She navigated to the cellar door, which was still intact. She pulled it open and lowered Jamie inside before climbing down herself. Within the darkness, she found Isabella, Widow Bell. A handful of neighbours, and Jarvis Coxon Spit. Coxon Spit sobbed, wiping his nose with his nightcap and gripping a dead peacock. I think I accidentally choked me favourite fowl. The sleepy little town of Ligania lay across the water from Port Royal's harbour. The street lamps were lit once the people realised it was their neighbour under attack and not them. Residents gathered at the wharfs to observe the spectacle. The thunder of ignited gunpowder echoed across the sea, and gunpowder explosions lit up the sky with bursts as intense as fireworks. The biggest mansion in town belonged to Port Royal's former lieutenant governor, Lord Dorcas Dewar. The grounds of the estate bustled with activity as Dewar ordered that everyone wake up and that breakfast be ready so they could all enjoy a meal and a show. Dewar's children huddled in their nightwear. Beside them was the Llewellyn family. Lady Lila Llewellyn wore her nightrobe, and her daughter, Laura, wore the same, holding a small dog with an enormous moustache. Dewar gazed at Chico Gonzales, the rat-dog, whose extraordinary talents ranged from incessant yapping to leaving shit-stains on the walls. "'Father, can we not go back inside?' Dewar's youngest bemoaned. "'Bloody daisy and miss a piece of history, I think not!' Dewar straightened the cuffs of his frilled sleeves. This was indeed a grand occasion. He was adorned in a red velvet suit an ostrich feather hat and shimmering buckle shoes. Former judge Lord Lawrence Llewellyn's elaborate heels clopped against the woodwork. His blue and red checkered jestercor hung wrigly round his frame, and draped over his shoulder was a deep purple sash. "Have I missed anything?" "Nay, they're just getting started," Dewar clapped his hands. "Oh, hurrah! I love a good battle." Who is it this time, the Spanish? The former governor's advisor, Mason Sleemans, covered his ears. We're not at war with the Spanish. The French, I suspect, a declaration of war from San Domingue. Llewellyn posed triumphantly. I'm even wearing my ceremonial sash of victory. He paused to take a deep breath. Ah. "'The sounds and smells of war. "'How I missed it so. "'Everyone comes together to kill total strangers. "'Who knows whatever for?' "'A smile illuminated his face. "'God, I love it so.' Sleemans pointed to the purple accoutrement. "'What battle does it commemorate?' Llewellyn shrugged. "'Who knows, but I'm sure we won.' Dewar and Llewellyn strolled onto the stone patio for a better view. In between the thunderous booms, the nearby ocean washed over the rocky terrain below. The air around them grew silent. Oh, what happened? Have they stopped? Siemens peered out to the sea. Maybe just turning around for another assault? Well, let's hope so. When did we last beat the French? Dewar asked. "'We've never been at war with them before,' Sleeman said. "'Well, it's bloody well time, then.' "'Another flash, and a shot soared into the city. "'Come along, swords up! Ah, it's on again!' Dewar took a slender brass spyglass from his pocket. "'Come on, Port Royal, shoot back, you lousy whigs!' "'Fiery cannonballs fell, one by one, into the city.' Rumbles and screams carried on the wind. Fort Charles fired a barrage of shots at the offending ships, which splashed into the sea. Finally, someone woke up Captain White, Dewar chuckled. Morgan's line and White's line both fired shots, and the French ships turned away. That can't be it, Llewellyn said. I got all dressed up. Silence ensued until the French came back for another pass. We should have someone painting this. Llewellyn raised a glass when HMS Falcon, a sloop with English patents, raced from the docks off Fort Carlisle. Sweet British suckers he applauded. It's Chuck Talbot, Commodore. His voice deepened with his best impersonation. I'll beat off them French for you, lads. They roared with laughter, and Dewar fell from his chair, spilling wine. Relentless is putting out, Sleemans indicated a huge ship at the Ligania docks. If only my wife would, Llewellyn grumbled. Maybe she'd get out there in a few days after they've gone, Dewar scoffed. He surveyed the activity on the deck, but her sails didn't drop. "'What did I tell you? "'It's like watching a beached whale trying to hump his way back to sea. "'She's not set in sail. "'She's preparing to fire,' Sleeman said. Llewellyn cheered. "'Give the French a load of big dick.' "'Longstaff is injured,' Sleeman chided. "'He's not back yet. "'It's one of his subordinate officers in charge.' Dewar spat out the remainder of Madeira wine. A shilling says he takes out Fort Charles. Relentless turned, and HMS Falcon faced the French alone. Longstaff's vessel fired a full broadside of shots. Flashes and booms toppled spectators backwards. Through the smoke of Port Royal, cannonballs smashed into the sea around the French ships, engulfing them in great splashes of water. Llewellyn's smile faded. Did we hit them? I'd say we knocked the wind out of them, Sleeman said. They'll probably leave now. The French turned for another pass. Ha, I'll have my shilling yet, Dewar smirked. I didn't bet, Llewellyn said in a superior tone. You never pay up. Dewar shrugged. We're on a credit system. I'll bet Big Dick's number one gets promoted. Dewar waved to a slave for another drink. I'm not taking that bet. They'll promote you for anything these days. A French shot came down, slamming into the roof of the Black Dog Inn. It smashed a hole in the roof and crumbled the brick chimney. Oh, not the Black Dog Inn, Dewar gasped. They should have used lead. "'That one's coming out of Talbot's pay,' Llewellyn tut-tutted. "'The hallways of the Black Dog Inn shook, "'and the copper wall sconces tipped upside down. "'A cannonball crashed through the building, "'shattering the windows and leaving a smoke trail. "'Dr. Marcus McCaskill charged into the hall, "'his wild gray hair blending with the air. "'Even in a drunken stupor, He had recognized the sound of a French cannon. Violante Vi Hayes staggered from the room next door, wearing a blue satin nightgown and robe, her arm in a sling. "'What the hell is happening?' "'A bloody raid,' McCaskill spoke in a thick Scottish accent and put his arm around her waist to escort her down the hall. "'I thought Port Royal was raid-proof.' Outside on Lime Street, horses, carriages, and people scattered in all directions. McCaskill went to the stable for his wagon. He assisted Vi into the back, and tossed a blanket over her as another cannonball blasted through the inn. Where's Richard? Vi pondered. I'm not paid to keep tabs on your big dick. I'm just your doctor. McCaskill jumped into the driver's seat and gathered the reins. Keep your head down. He fought the traffic and turned up New Street. While serving on the Torrington with his friend Arthur Valentine, also called Bleeding Art, McCaskill had helped capture Jamaica in 1655 for the English. He had survived more battles than he could count and served as surgeon on many ships. But now, instead of cringing from fear, he cringed from the noise as it hurt his ears. The French like their cannons extra loud, the fuckers. They arrived in front of Valentine Mansion. Bleeding Art emerged, tall, thin, and well-dressed. He was followed by his wife, Catherine, and mother-in-law, Lady Crabapple Crosshatch, donning a silk gown and heavy white makeup with a faux mole on her cheek. Ah, shit. Lady Crotch itch, McCaskill said as he inadvertently strained the horse's neck. Artsmen, Jagged Jane and Scarcliffe, trailed behind carrying carpet bags. Lady Crosshatch cursed at them to hurry up while Blackmore brought the carriage around. Well, you took long enough, Negro, Lady Crosshatch scowled when he arrived. McCaskill climbed down. "'I didn't realize she was my boss,' Blackmore whispered. "'You're a slave. "'The cat's your boss,' McCaskill said. "'Art patted his forehead. "'We're taking her to the church. "'She thinks it's safer in church.' McCaskill snorted. "'Safer from what? Reality?' "'A cannonball screamed overhead, and Jane covered his ears. "'Shit!' "'Tell the brute to mind its language in the presence of a lady,' Lady Crosshatch demanded. "'What the fuck?' Scarcliffe blurted. Art helped his mother-in-law aboard. "'Absolutely right, your ladyship,' he pointed at Jane. "'You keep your filthy, strumpet-sucking pie-hole stuffed in the presence of a lady, "'or I'll shove my foot up your bloody crap-pipe.' "'And so it's teary yap. Now get on.' Jane's mouth dropped, but he obviously thought better of speaking. Lady Crosshatch growled. "'Degenerate's all!' She scrutinized Vi in McCaskill's wagon. "'What's that lewdster doing here?' Art stared quizzically at the strumpet, and then at McCaskill. "'What is she doing here? Did you get a raise?' "'She's under your protection, Bonehead, as is half the ships in the harbor. "'Right, right. Where's the bloody warships?' "'Ott complained. "'We'll wait it out at Fort Carlisle. "'I'll be needed in the infirmary anyway after this,' McCaskill said. "'Onward, you fool!' Lady Crosshatch snapped. Yes, what's taking so long? Mrs. Valentine griped. Art sighed. Jane Starfish, come with me. Jane's eyebrows cocked. You sure? Maybe I'm needed at Fort Carlisle. Aye, like the black fucking death, McCaskill said. Jane and Scarcliffe climbed reluctantly aboard. "'Take me to church, you street trolls!' Lady Crosshatch screeched. Art leaned to McCaskill. "'I've been thinking on a new service for the city. "'Valentine's Harbour Tours for the elderly. "'Come for the view, stay for the crab.' Lady Crosshatch hit the side of the carriage with her walking stick. Oh, do get on! They took off. McCaskill climbed onto his wagon and snapped the reins. I'd like her to stay for the crab. Artia clung to the wall as if it were a shield. The deafening roar of the explosions caused her to tremble. It was similar to the attack on the plantation where mortar bombs had dropped from the sky, tearing people apart. She had been caught in the aftermath of an explosion while escaping through a tunnel. The earth had collapsed, and she had almost been buried alive. Her wet face pressed harder still against the wall until eventually the cannon fire ceased and the shaking stopped. Atia, her sister cried. Livia was being carried away by Edmund Cogshall's man. "'It'll be all right, Liv,' Attia called back. "'We'll take him back to the prison,' the constable said, and the guards rallied the prisoners to their feet. The judge had vanished by this time, but other officials arrived, seeking sanctuary from the chaos outside. A squinty-eyed man holding a walking stick, adorned with a silver lion, approached. You have the pikey girl. Well done, constable. You are charged with keeping her safe and ready for extraction on my word. Mr. Cogshall will make you a wealthy man indeed. Blower looked perplexed. But he's dead. Cogshall Jr. Oh, aye, I'll keep her safe. Move about "'the constable told the guards. "'Take them back to prison. "'We'll do no such thing,' Goblet protested, "'hurrying back to the chamber, "'fastening his black trousers beneath his robe "'while his aides twisted their faces. "'We're going to finish this damn hearing. "'Mr. Mayor, since Mr. White may not be returning, "'please take his place on the bench.' "'Continue, Constable Leaf-blower!' "'Atea stared coldly at all the self-righteous bastards. "'The last she had seen of her da and uncle "'was when they sailed away on Lucky Charms. "'It was after they helped her escape "'from Crisp's slaver-captain, Mandingo, "'and the pirate, Slasher Al. "'She had waved almost cheerfully,' "'Unaware, it was the final goodbye. "'You'll not go from me sight. "'Only from me view,' "'Hardar had told her before they parted ways. "'Now, Hardar was dead, and Uncle Rourke, too. "'She prayed to all the gods that her brothers were safe. "'They had been sent to Aragua on an errand. Atia glimpsed the god's belt where a dagger gleamed.' The shackles weighed heavy on her limbs, but she had just enough leeway. Atia Crisp, you are charged with associating with a wanted pirate. Mischief! Goblet stopped. Attia grabbed the weapon and plunged it into the guard's neck. He screamed and flailed his arms, trying to shake her off. Blood jetted everywhere, saturating her dress. Order! Goblet demanded. The remaining guards stared in shock. Well, stop her! Goblet said. The constable and a guard tackled Artia. Her face was slammed onto the wet floor. The blade slipped from her hand. She was then forced to her feet with a guard on each side of her. Goblet jotted down an additional note. You can add murder to your list of charges. Er, he's not dead, a guard said. Goblet crossed it out and rewrote the line. Fine. For attempted murder, you are so charged. The bleeding guard released a final gasp. Oh, he died, Blower said. Goblet was about to cross out what he'd written again. Are you sure? I, he's dead. And murder, Goblet continued. Have you anything to say for yourself before I have you locked in the dungeon as a dangerous offender? An evil grin formed on Aitya's lips. I'm a dangerous offender, Nada. Your little girl's all grown up. Take her away and lock her up. Lock the rest of them up for interrogation, Goblet ordered. Me captain's coming back for me. He's coming for his dangerous offender, Atia cackled. We'll see how a month in the dark agrees with your tongue. Goblet smacked the mallet again. Court is adjourned.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from No Quarter, Winches, Volume 1. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.